purpose will be, for the time being, the, the final message talking about the second coming of Jesus. We've been talking about that, the fact that Jesus is coming back. We've been asking the question, do I live like I really believe that Jesus is coming back? And uh, you know, of course, that when we really believe something, it'll make a difference in how we live our lives. I want to not so much turn that on its head, but just look at the return of Christ from a different perspective and talk to you for a little bit this morning about the comfort or the encouragement of Jesus' return, the comfort of Jesus' return. I don't know if you know, I'm sure you know what it's like to be in situations where you feel really uncomfortable. You feel like you do not belong. Um, like I heard one fellow say a pork chop at a kosher wedding or a milk bucket under a bowl. Um, just situations where you know you do not belong, you do not fit in. And uh, I've been in those kinds of places before and uh, we've had you know traveling with my mom and dad there were times when we would be invited to eat to people's uh, houses and uh, where you know you could tell they were very quite well to do and and they would put on a beautiful spread a beautiful meal and set a beautiful table and uh, I you know I know what to do with one fork and one spoon and one knife but I don't know what to do when you have three or four forks laid out actually they're not on your right they're on your left is that right forks are on your left I don't know what to do and those kinds of settings I don't quite feel like I I belong just uncomfortable um, I know that a lot of people don't like thinking about Jesus coming back um, or, or dying, you know, I, either of these, whether it be death or whether it be the rapture, you know, they, all of these ideas apply to both situations. And, um, you know, I remember as a young person, uh, uh, especially a young teenager, uh, I was concerned because I kept hearing about people talking about how soon Jesus was going to come back and and I would think there are things that I want to do and have happen in my life before Jesus comes back. I hope that he doesn't come back until I get to live a little bit. I have a dear family member who is a believer who doesn't like to think of it, I guess just because of the unknown or the, the strangeness of the idea uh, all of that, I, I'm not sure. The Christians at Thessalonica were fairly recent converts from paganism. So there was a whole lot that they did not know. And as they came to live for and follow Jesus, and then they began to think about loved ones who had already passed, who, who had gone before them, or maybe they had seen loved ones that passed away uh, 
after they'd come to Christ, but they, they died a physical death here on earth. And, and they weren't quite sure how to handle that. There were some people that thought uh, if perhaps these people died and Jesus hadn't come back yet, that somehow they would, they would miss out, that they would not uh, get to go up in the rapture. And so Paul writes to them, uh, beginning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, and a little bit of a lengthier passage of Scripture, uh, but uh, you follow along with me. We'll read down through chapter 5 and verse 11. And Paul here is addressing uh, this concern. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another or comfort one another with these words. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It'll be a surprise. Verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep. Now you understand when Paul talks about people who are asleep, he's talking about people who have died a physical death. That's what he's referring to. So he says, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage or comfort one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Friends, for the Christian, I know there is sorrow in death and the separation that death brings. Yet we need to remember that we do not grieve or sorrow as those without hope, because we have hope that goes beyond this world. For the Christian, for that one who is living in right relationship with Jesus Christ and walking in the light, we really ought to learn 
to be comforted by the thought that Jesus is coming back rather than to be disturbed by that fact. I told you at the beginning a couple weeks ago how as a young person, uh, a young boy, there were times when I would wake up in the middle of the night uh, or suddenly find myself in a situation where nobody was around and there was an empty house and I would be disturbed because I grew up hearing good preaching about the return of Jesus. And sometimes I would go looking for somebody that I knew really was faithful and lived for Jesus. I'd go try to find my mom or my dad and look for them and, and uh, just to make sure that I hadn't somehow been left behind. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that either. That, that fear, or because I do think it's an, an indication that if you have that fear or that concern, you maybe ought to seek the Lord. Pray until you're comfortable with the idea that Jesus is going to come back. But as believers walking in the light, it should be encouraging to us. The return of Christ ought to be an encouragement and a comfort to us because it will mean a reuniting with those who have gone before us a reuniting with those who have gone before us. If you look at chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, and really through the end of chapter 4, Paul is addressing this whole idea of those who have preceded us in death. Adam Clark, in his commentary, he says this, It is supposed that the Apostle Paul had heard that the Thessalonians continued to lament or grieve over their dead as the heathens did in general who had no hope of the resurrection of the body and that they had been puzzled concerning the doctrine of the resurrection. That's the assumption. And so Paul is writing them to say, listen, you don't need to grieve like these heathen, uh, non-Christian people do around you. You will see your family, your friend, your loved one again. That's Paul's primary uh, concern, his primary reason for writing this part of the last, uh, last of the chapter 4 of Thessalonians. I know that most of you know what it's like to have stood beside the grave of a loved one or perhaps at the bedside of one uh, who is passing, about to leave this earth. The first person that I remember losing uh, in my life that really meant something to me didn't take place until I was probably about 15 or 16 years old. And I, yes, I'd had family members pass before that time, but they were Usually they were often either distant kin or people that I w wasn't closely related to. But, but my granddad, my grandpa Bender, uh, we were in a revival meeting in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. And uh, my granddad had been diagnosed with colon cancer. He'd gone into the hospital, had surgery, everything went fine. No problems or difficulties with that, uh, with that operation. He was recovering well, and uh, they were expecting him to go home, uh, I believe, on a Monday morning, something like that. The night uh, of the day, or actually early in the morning of the day that he was supposed to go home, he passed away in his sleep peacefully. They, there was no indication of anything wrong, no in indication of anything, any reason why. I, can, I think I can tell you why it happened that way. 
those that ever heard my granddad pray often would note when he prayed or we'd pray together as a family, he would often pray, Lord, when it's my time, would you give me an easy time to come and meet you? And the Lord certainly gave him the answer to his prayer. Couldn't be anything easier than simply to fall asleep in one world and wake up in another. Amen? Well, our hearts were hurting. We were crying. We were grieving. We had to drive home. I knew I had to be at least 15 because by the time I was 15, I had my driver's permit and I got to help drive us home from West Virginia. I got a lot of driving experience when I was quite young. And um, I remember listening to certain songs on the way home, songs about heaven. I remember crying on the way, grieving on the way, being reunited with the family. I remember that's the first time I can ever remember crying so hard that I just didn't feel like I could contain it. Just just so much grief, so much pain. But then we remember all that he lived for and how he lived his life faithfully for Jesus and served him. And oh, how our hearts were comforted and still are comforted by the fact we know we will be reunited with him one day. For the Christian, friends, grief and separation are not forever. The return of Jesus will mean reuniting with those who have gone before us. Also, notice the return of Jesus will mean rescue from tribulation. Rescue, rescue from tribulation. Now, hold on to your uh, opinions um, for just a few moments as we talk about this. Um, two, two ideas, a couple of ideas. You know, I've said this, that I don't believe we can speak dogmatically about how the end times will all work out. Um, there are some people who believe that Jesus is going to come back before the tribulation period ever starts and that the church will be raptured out of here and we won't be here for any of it. There are others who believe that the church is going to be here along with the world through all of it and Jesus isn't going to come back until the very end of the, of the tribulation period. The, the tribulation period, if you're not aware, it's that time that Scripture foretells when God will begin pouring out His wrath upon the earth in judgment and condemnation for the, the rejection of Him. So... Let me give you a couple, of, a couple of perspectives. There are two verses that, first of all, I want to point out to you from uh, the passages we read in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath. God has not destined us for wrath. Now, that is a verse that leads many people to believe that the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation ever begins. We won't be here for any of it. But it also could mean that God will rapture the church midway. If you read through uh, and study the, the book of Revelation, there is a point um, 
in the beginning part of the tribulation period, what is happening is simply catastrophe on an apocalyptic scale that is not necessarily God's active working to pour out his wrath. Am I, make, am I making any sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. But there is a point where when the, the bowls, the vials of God's wrath being poured out, that takes place later on towards the end of the tribulation, that is God actively pouring out judgment upon the world, actively pouring out his wrath. And many people believe that the Christians, the church, will be here through a portion of the tribulation, but will be raptured out prior to that point. Many of those, that's called a mid-tribulation rapture theory. So, the other other verse that I would point out to you is chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. With the sound of the trumpet of God. Another passage, another verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, refers to the last trump, when the last trumpet sounds. And the dead will be raised, and we will follow. So the question here is, What is this last trumpet referring to? And the thing that I know everybody wants to know is when is this going to happen? And and most of the people that are concerned about pain, and I'm I'm concerned about pain, right? I don't like pain. Pain, I have learned, hurts me. And so I try to avoid it as much as I can. And so everybody's interested. Are we do are we going to have to are we going to have to live through a part of the tribulation period? Are we going to be here for all of this terrible terrible things that are going to happen upon this earth or or are we going to be raptured out? So what is this last trumpet, the sound of the trumpet when the dead are raised and then we who are alive and remain will follow them and meet the Lord in the air? There are essentially two perspectives on this. Uh, The first would come from Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. I'm not going to take the time to read all of those verses, but basically that is the the portion of uh, the story of Revelation that speaks of the seven trumpets. And there are a series of seven trumpets that are blown by the angels. And when the last trumpet sounds... That is the point at which God begins to pour out his wrath upon the earth. And so some people believe that uh, that's what that trumpet is, the last trumpet. It's the last of those seven trumpets right before God begins to pour out his wrath. That's when we're going to be raptured and taken out. Could be. Could be. There is a second view that would be better explained by taking a look at the New Testament, particularly Numbers chapter 10, 
Again, I won't take the time to read all of that. I'll give you, you can read that on your own time. But Numbers chapter 10 is where the Lord gives instruction to the people of Israel about how uh, the people are to be assembled together. And they were instructed to make trumpets. And the trumpets were to be sounded and different signals, different sounds were given to mean different things. And in that context, uh, there was a trumpet blast that could be blown that called the leaders of the tribes of Israel together. A, a continual blowing of the trumpets was an alarm for the people. Uh, then uh, there could be a series of trumpet blasts that was the signal for each group of tribes to begin their journey, to begin striking camp and getting ready to move on. And then the last blast of the trumpet in that context indicated the movement of the last group in the camp. So the last trumpet meant the last tribe is gathering together. Now, I'm not going to take a dogmatic position on either one of these. I'm, I'm sure you wish somebody would just tell you, here's what you ought to believe. That makes it easy, doesn't it? Well, I'll tell you what I think. What I think is that the, the Numbers 10, the second view, is probably the most likely that Paul is referring to because Paul is writing his letter to the church at Thessalonica quite a number of years before the book of Revelations is written. They had no, Paul would have had no concept of the seven trumpets to be blown before the bowls of wrath. Now, does that mean that God couldn't still have communicated that? Certainly God knew that that was coming. Obviously he did. But more likely what Paul was referring to was this trumpet, uh, these trumpets that were blown in the Old Testament context as a signal to, for the gathering of the people. It's time to go. It's time to leave. And in fact, we can even kind of read that in uh, the passage there in verse 16 of chapter 4. There's kind of a sequence of events. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet. Then there's a series of response. Verse 17, then we who, let's see, got ahead of myself. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Either one of these could be correct. I think the second one is most likely. But underlying all of that, it doesn't really matter. Because the truth and the message is the same. Whenever it happens, we need to be ready. And one thing I believe Paul teaches us clearly is that we are not destined for wrath. And whether we are raptured before it, taken out prior to the tribulation, or whether we are taken out through it, friends, the return of Christ will mean rescue from tribulation. Amen. Amen. And victory for the Christian. The return of Christ will mean comfort and encouragement, especially for those who are ready and waiting. Especially for those who are ready and waiting. 
in uh, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the manner of Christ's return and what conditions will be like when he comes back. He says, You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. They will not escape. And then he goes on in verses 4 and 5 to remind these. Remember, these are, these are fairly new Christians. These are people who have been saved out of a pagan background, and they are uncertain about how all of this is to work out, the resurrection, the return of Christ. And if you remember from studying your New Testament that at this time, Paul and many of the apostles believed that Jesus was going to come back the second time in their own lifetime. And so Paul encourages them and says, But you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you or overtake you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. Friends, thinking about the return of Christ should be comforting and encouraging to those who are ready and waiting. If we are ready and waiting, it should not... uh, I say it should not disturb us. So there may be a flutter of anticipation, uh, maybe a momentary anxiety uh, uh, that, that flows out of human nature or perhaps even the attack of our enemy. But if we are walking in the light, we ought to be able to quickly quell that anxiety by reminding ourselves, no, I am right with God and I am walking in the light. I am ready and waiting. Suppose you read in a newspaper about a new airline, an airline called the Old World Airline. Now, I don't think I'd even call if that's the title, the Old World Airline. I don't think I'd even inquire. But but anyway, you, you see this is a new airline business. They're called the Old World Airline. And so you pick up the phone and call You've seen or heard that they have good rates advertised, and the girl who answers the phone is in quite a bit of a hurry because she's also the stewardess on the next flight. She says, if you want to know about us, just come on over and check us out in person. Our fares are half price, you know. You can fly for half price, half the normal rate. With the price of airplane tickets these days, that would be a pretty good deal if you had to go somewhere so you go to the airport and on the airport runway you see a dilapidated old airplane held together with duct tape and bailing wire a 19 year old kid with a pilot's cap on is coming out of the terminal and headed towards the airplane and you look at this young kid and you say what are you doing and He says, well, I'm the pilot for this airplane. We're in a little bit of a hurry. We're running behind. And so you say, well, just a moment. Could I ask you a question? How is it that you offer your tickets so cheaply? And he says, well, we don't worry about unnecessary things like maintenance and checking fuel levels and all of that. We just get out and go. And then as you turn to walk away, you notice that the pilot is wearing a parachute. 
Now, nobody in their right mind would step on that airplane, would they? You don't want to fly in a, a, under circumstances like that, under conditions like that. You want to know that all the preparations have been made and that there are, there are no questions as much as possible. There are no questions about the safety of the airplane that you're about to get on. You want to know that you're under the care of a pilot and crew that's well-trained and knows exactly what they're doing. Yet, friends, how sad it is that so many people in the world today treat this idea of Jesus coming back in a same haphazard manner. They do not take seriously the idea that either they may at any time go to meet Jesus in death, or that Jesus may come back and rapture his church away. And friends, we cannot afford to be haphazard and lackadaisical in our preparation for being ready and for staying ready. And I just need to tell you, it's not enough for us to say, well, I prayed one time back there when I was a kid or I was baptized in such and such a church or this or that and the other happened. If I didn't know right now that I was walking in the light and living for Jesus, I would not be comfortable with the thought of Jesus' return. That's why so many of those times when I was a young teenager and woke up in the middle of the night, I'd creep through the house to see if there was anybody still in my mom and dad's bed because I knew that I wasn't certain everything was okay. Jesus' return will be comfort and encouragement for those who are ready and waiting. But finally, the return of Christ will be comfort and encouragement to us because it is the return of the bridegroom. It is the return of the bridegroom. Now, Paul in Thessalonians doesn't mention this directly, but only obliquely, only indirectly does he mention this idea. Chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, he says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation. That will mean our final salvation. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And that means forever, not just for a temporary time, but forever. You know, friends, I believe that the happily ever after ending of the fairy tales has its roots in the human longing for everything to be made right. I believe there's something in all of us that is longing and hungering for somehow, even those who don't know Jesus, even those who don't believe in God, there's something in all of them for somehow justice to be served and for the wrongs there in this world to be fixed, to be set right. Like Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, All of creation groans and travails, longing for the day of redemption. What is that day he's talking about? He's talking about the day when God puts the world back together again. There is a new heaven and a new earth. This idea of Jesus as the bridegroom is mentioned a number of times throughout Scripture. 
multiple times Jesus himself uses this terminology uh, in the gospel writings. He refers to himself as the bridegroom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and the writings of Paul, verse 2, we read this, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. That's 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Then also in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27, we read this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present her to himself. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, a radiant bride, a beautiful bride, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish or blameless. Then we see it finally referred to in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7. We read this, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Friends, Jesus Christ is the heavenly bridegroom. And the church, we are his bride. And when Jesus comes back, when he returns, it will be the return of the bridegroom for his bride. No more waiting, no more longing, no more hoping, but it will be the beginning of happily ever after. And that's not a fairy tale. In closing, some of you have probably heard this story. It's a story from one of the world wars about a young couple that was so desperately in love. They were engaged to be married and the young man found out that his number was about to be called and he would have to be called away to serve in the military. And he and his fiancée spoke together about this and they decided that they would wait. And they said, let's wait until this is all over, until I can come back, and just as soon as I come back, then we'll get married. Oh, this couple was so deeply in love. They wrote letters to one another, com uh, uh, communicated back and forth as much as they could daily, uh, regularly. We'll just call them George and Mary. And they would write and express their love in, in letters. But one day, the letters from George stopped coming. And Mary began to grow concerned. She continued to write, I'm sure inquired of the military what she could find out, but couldn't find any answers. Until finally the word came that George had been missing in action and was presumed to be dead. Oh, Mary was so brokenhearted, such an aching heart. And she grieved and longed for her loved one. 
After some weeks had passed, one day Mary was feeling the loss more deeply than at other times, and she found that she could not eat, and she asked her family to excuse her, and she left and went to her room to be by herself. She got out the letters that she had received from George and began to read over them, and as she read, it just seemed to make him more real and brought his presence a little bit closer to him. After a while of reading her letter, she decided she would get out the wedding dress that she had saved and purchased for their wedding. And she slipped on the wedding dress and continued to feel that grief and that pain so sharply, yet there was something also bittersweet about it. While she was up in her room, weeping, being alone with her thoughts, with her sorrow. She did not hear the doorbell ring downstairs. Mary's mother went to the door and opened it, and to her shock and amazement, there stood George. She said, George, what are you doing here? You are, you're supposed to be dead. And he said, is Mary here? I need to see Mary. Where's Mary? Yes, but George, you're supposed to. Is Mary here? Yes, she's here. She's up in her room. And so George walked up the steps and knocked on the door to her room. And Mary opened, and you can imagine the wonderful reunion that took place there. And then they began to speak together for just a bit. And Mary expressed her confusion. George, you reported missing in action. You're supposed to be dead. What happened? And, and he said, oh, Mary, your last letter that I received meant so much to me. And he pulled a letter out of his pocket and read where she had written, Dear George, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'll be ready when you come. But as he stood back and looked at her in her wedding dress, he said, but I didn't know you'd be this ready. <laughs> Friends, there is comfort for the believer, for the Christian, as we think about Christ's return. But only for those who are ready and waiting. Our lamps are trimmed and burning. The wedding garments are on and white. We are prepared. Let's stand together, please. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have the wonderful hope of heaven. I want to live for that day. I want to invest so that people see you in my life, in this, in this world, in this life. But primarily, I want to know that when you come for me, whether it's by death or the rapture, I don't have any question marks or concerns about what's going to happen to me, but to know that I'm ready. Heavenly Father, I pray the same for every person in this room and for many, many who are outside of this room whom we love and care about. 
Father, we pray that you'll bring them to yourself. Bring those who are wandering to yourself. Remind them that they are loved. Lord, would you help us to live at that place where we're always ready? I'm going to ask Sister Pam if you would please just step to the organ.